If you have your Bible tonight, and you would, find the Old Testament book of Micah, as we are continuing on our series on the Minor Prophets. And um, as always, it's good to see you tonight. Uh, also tonight, I want to just very quickly, if you would, as you find the book of Micah, flip over to Revelation chapter 20. We're not going to look at Revelation chapter 20, um, but uh, when we look at Revelation chapter 20, uh, we see in verses 4 through 6 uh, that Christ sets up a kingdom in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he reigns for a thousand years. And this is called the Millennial Kingdom. And this is just a very small passage of Scripture. It's something that most people today want to argue about and debate about and fight about. But when you read through the Minor Prophets, as we are, uh, each one of them pretty much references this time where the Jewish nation um, comes to faith in Jesus Christ. They, as an individual group of people, see the errors of their way, worship Him as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you say, Jake, what does that matter for us? Because as Gentiles, we're invited, uh, when the Lord sets up this earthly kingdom, uh, to be a part of it with Him. And that transitions into an eternity with Him forever. But at the end of the book of Micah, if you would, chapter 7, when we read through these books, we are always reminded there is a lot in there. Highs and lows, difficulties, challenges. We see God judges nations and the Jewish people for their wickedness. We see that He promises, though, in those times of judgment. And I think those minor prophets have been very good for me as a pastor because uh, you hear a lot of things about like, well, we've lost the war on marriage, and so it's time to move on. We're losing the war on transgender issues and all of the nonsense that's going on there. It's time to just move on. We lost the battle over Genesis. It's time to move on. We've lost the battle against Jesus is the only way to be saved in the public arena. Move on. And then I read these men of God and these minor prophets, and they just kept on preaching. They kept on preaching when no one believed, when no one listened, when no one was willing. They just kept on keeping on. And then there's one prophet, if you've looked with us last week, Jonah, who was not very faithful. Didn't want to do what God said because of the people and the opposition and the cold-heartedness. And so tonight, I really want to encourage you, as you and I watch this world become more and more anti the things of God, to not quit. When we watch our homes being under attack, when we watch our families being under attack, we watch everything that we hold sacred and dear coming under attack, to not lose hope. To don't throw our hands up and quit, but to be faithful, like Hosea, like Micah, like Nahum, like all of the others that we're going to look at, to be faithful in the face of opposition. And there are two reasons that we can do that. They're not because our church is exceptional. It's not because you and I are great people of wisdom or strength or statue. But in Micah chapter 7, in verses 18 through 20, I want us to read these because as we go through this book, 
there are two things you need to remember. As you're trying to be a godly husband or wife to a spouse who doesn't love God, these two promises ring true. If you're going through storms and obstacles in your life, these two things stand true. If you're trying to live out your faith at home, at work, for people who want no part of it, these two things are the key. And it starts in verse 18 of Micah chapter 7 and says, Who is like you, God? Pardon iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. The first thing you need to see is who God is. Friends, whether church fails you, whether your spouse fails you, whether the pastor lets you down, whether your obedience to the things of God, whether you're saying, Jake, I've tried to be faithful all these years, and how did this happen to me? The number one thing that will encourage you and cause you to remain true to the faith is remembering who God is. Who is a God like you? And it starts right out by saying, pardoning our iniquity. As believers, we know that we fall short. There are a couple things that happens. One, we explain our sin away, like it's not that big of a deal, like it doesn't really matter. Or two, we allow that sin to cause great guilt and shame in our life. But what makes God who He is? Micah says the fact that God is willing to pardon guilty people. Friends, tonight, whether you feel guilty as a husband, guilty as a wife, guilty as a parent, guilty as a believer for failing God, remember this one thing. God is a God who pardons. God is a God who declares you and I innocent even though we don't deserve it. And adding to that, passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage. You and I are a part of that remnant. We are a part of the family of God. When God talks about passing over people's sin, forgiving people's sin, He's not talking about lost people. He's not talking about Democrats or Republicans. He's not talking about liberals and conservatives. He is talking about those who have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you can know that through your failures, through your stumbling, through your struggles, that you're covered. And when Satan and the world tried to remind you that you don't deserve the love of God, you can't earn the love of God, you shouldn't be allowed to have the love of God, God says, I chose to pardon them. I choose to forgive them. I choose to overlook their sin because of who I am, not because of who they are. And I don't know if you know that or not, that should cause you some great joy in me. Because God made that choice, I didn't. God chose before the foundation of the world to look down into this mess called human history and say they're sinners and they're wicked, but I'm going to send my only begotten Son to die on the cross for them, to take their punishment and their shame, and it is all because I love them. Because I want a relationship with them. It goes on, though, just to remind us a little bit more, He does not retain His anger forever. 
And when you read this book of Micah, if you're a Jew, this gives you hope because God is not pleased. God is going to allow not only the Assyrian Empire, but the Babylonian Empire to destroy everything that you hold dear. After the Babylonian Empire falls, then Persia lets you come back, but you're still under their control. After the Persian Empire, the Greeks become the world power. After the Greeks and the Romans become the world power. And so you watch as a Jew over the history of your life reading this book thinking, man, God sure seems displeased with us. But Micah reminds them, the Lord will not stay angry forever if you know Him. Friends, the lost will experience the anger and judgment and wrath of God forever. In a place called hell, it will never quench, it will never stop, it will never give you a second chance. But if you are loved by God, even though we might fail Him, even though He might have to correct us, He says, my anger doesn't last forever. Now, as a parent, that is a wonderful and easy thing to do, is to forgive your kids and move on. But when you're a kid and you do something wrong, that is a terrifying feeling when you know your parents are going to find out. How mad are they going to be? What is the punishment going to be? And how long will this punishment last? Those are the things that go through our head. Those are the things that happen. Our rule at home is if you get trouble at school, you get in trouble at home. I don't care why. I don't want to hear it. If someone started a fight with you, finish it with them and then come home and get your spanking. That's just how we believe, all right? You might disagree with that. I don't care, all right? It's just the way it is. You get in trouble at school, you get in trouble at home, so make it worth it. No, that's a, that's a joke. That's a joke, partially. No, I'm just kidding. But what God wants you to remind, to be reminded of is though you might feel like He is angry, you might feel like you are under judgment, you might feel like you were alone, that that's not how He views you. Because why? Because He delights in mercy. It pleases God to show mercy. I don't always find joy in showing people mercy. But God delights in mercy. God wants to show you mercy. God wants to show the Jewish people mercy. God wants to show mercy on your family. God wants to show mercy on your situation. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. That's the first thing you have to remember. Long introduction, very short sermon, okay? The second one is this. It goes on in verse 19 and says, You will cast all our sins into the depth of the seas. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to your fathers from the days of old. Not only can you trust who God is, you can trust the promises of God. What is His truth? His truth is He will cast all of your sins into the depth of the sea. What he is saying is not only does God want to forgive you, God promises to forgive you. And the promises of God are what we put our faith and trust in because God does not break His promises. God's Word does not fail. 
God's Word does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so if He says you can be forgiven today, you can be forgiven today and tomorrow. You can be brought into His family not just today, but forever. And so when you are in the up and downs of life, when you are in the corrective stages, when God is correcting you and I, we can be reminded and we can remember that He is faithful to His Word. He is faithful to who He is. And all of us know that most people are not faithful and their word means nothing. It's a terrible thing to say, but it's true. Most of the time in the church and out of the church. But you and I know something. If we're going to survive the ups and downs of life, the loss of loved ones, the battles with health issues, the betrayals of people that we love, if we're going to deal with opposition and persecution from Satan, the two things we must remember is who God is and what He promises us. And that's why it's so important for you to have a quiet daily time in the Word of God. You need to know who He is and what He says to you. You need to know. That's why I believe in Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, Sunday morning church. Because why? You and I need the Word of God more. We need to be exposed to the Word of God more. I need to be hearing all of the Word of God, not just some of the Word of God. That's why we've been going through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and then we've been going through the minor prophets, and we're going through Revelation, and we're going to go through Mark. And Why? Because the whole counsel of God is breathed by God. It is perfect in every way. It is profitable. It can encourage you. It can strengthen you. It can change who you are. It can change your marriage. It can change the people you work with. The Word of God, through the Spirit of God, has power. It has power to change lives. And what we see is Micah closes by saying, don't forget all this bad stuff I just told you. Remember who God is. And remember the promises that He gives. And so if you would, pray with me. And we're going to look at this book. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. Lord, You know my shortcomings, my struggles, my fears. And so God, please push all of them aside just to stand humbly and honestly before your word, before your people, but most importantly, you. Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege we have to gather together and to look at your word, to worship you in song, and Lord, just to honor you in spirit and in truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to look at chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Micah, and we won't for the sake of time, you are going to see God brings His charge against the nation. And some of these issues that we have seen here are the same ones that they've been struggling with for hundreds of years. You see, the judgment of God did not fall on the nation of Israel after just one or two years of rebellion. God was patient with them. He sent prophet after prophet. He sent Isaiah. He sent Jeremiah. He sent all of these men of God to proclaim the Word of God that the people of God might listen and turn to Him. Ezekiel tells us about the watchman on the wall, about God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so we see from the end of Solomon's reign to the destruction of uh, the temple that this rebellious nature... And what we're going to see in these minor prophets after this in the rest of the Old Testament is this same idea, this same rebellion, this same struggle that they've always had. And God's main accusation against the nation at this time are two things. They have become wealthy through deceit. They have taken advantage of the poor. 
They have robbed those who have nothing. They've taken advantage of those who have came to the capital as refugees from the onslaught of the Assyrian army in the northern kingdom. And if you know anything about this, when you're a refugee, you come with what you can carry, no rights, no privileges, no nothing. And wherever they settled, they settled in poor situations. And the religious and spiritual and national leaders of Israel said they are ready for the pickings. We'll take what they have, we'll take what they've got, we're going to take it for our benefit. But two, their spiritual idolatry. They had decided that the worship of God was not enough. They needed to worship the God of fertility, the the God of many different things. And so chapters 1 is all about the coming judgment of not only the Assyrians, but also the Babylonians. And you say, Jake, why is this important? Because why? Babylon was under the authority of Assyria. No one ever thought Assyria could fall. How could Babylon take them? But Micah tells them not only will the Assyrian Empire come, but Babylon will come. And you can read about that in chapters 1. But in chapter 2, we see that God begins to get specific, calling out sin in its each situation. I find it interesting because we as believers know that we're sinners. We don't even have a problem talking about sin in general. But yet when we start talking about sin specific, everything changes. That's why I love preaching verse by verse, book by book, word by word, because when we get to your sin, we're just there. When I used to preach topically, I'd preach on adultery, and everyone that had ever committed adultery said, he knows, he's preaching to me. Or every time I'd preach on lust, the people struggling with lust, oh, he he knows. Or if I, if I preached on pride or, or whatever the sin was, drunkenness or whatever it would have been, someone said, how did he know? How did he know where I was last night? How does he know what we're going through? I have no idea. That's between you and the Lord. But yet what we see here is God doesn't just deal in general terms. God wants you to know what you did, when you did it, and how you can fix it. And friends, I'm thankful for that. See, that's the difference between when the Spirit's at work in your life and when Satan is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, what you've done, when you did it, and gives you the opportunity to repent and find forgiveness. Satan just convinces you that you're hopeless. You've always struggled with your temper. You might as well give in and just let it rule your life. You've always struggled with the love of money. You might as well just let it have its way in your life. But the Spirit says, hey Jake, you probably shouldn't have lost your temper over the fact that the laundry wasn't done and made yourself look like an idiot in front of your kids. You need to ask for forgiveness and you need to ask them for forgiveness. You know what, sometimes I think I'd rather just say and say, you're just useless, Jake. Because why? When the Spirit works, you know you have to get along with God and make it right and you have to get along with the person that you've wronged. And you work it out. But look what it says here in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their beds. At morning light they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence, also houses and seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. This is giving us this idea that these people stay up at night lying in their bed, deceiving ways, and coming up with plans 
to rob and to steal and to harm other people. And so when daylight comes, they're ready to go. When their feet hit the ground, they are looking to be wicked. They're looking to disobey God. And God says, I see you in the secret places of your bed. He goes down in verses 6, and then its accusation is against the lying prophets, the men who are speaking for God. Do not prattle, you say, to those who prophesy, so they shall not prophesy to you. They shall not return insult for insult. You who are named the house of Jacob, in the spirit of the Lord, restricted. Are these His doings? Do not my words do good to Him who walks uprightly? What had happened was the, the false prophets had risen up and said, there's no reason to worry. The Assyrians aren't coming for us. God's not going to let Jerusalem fall. It's His city. We're His people. We can do what we want and God will not discipline us. You probably have saw a man on television that smiles a lot, says the same thing. Judgment's not coming. Correction is not coming. Your best life is in heaven, not now. That, that same mindset of what do you want? What's best for you? What do, what do we need to do to accommodate you and to make you happy and to satisfy your needs and your desires? Don't worry about God. And Micah says, I'm here to tell you, God sees God knows, and judgment's coming. And friends, today, you and I need that. We need people in our life, whether it is in the pulpit, or whether it is in our Sunday school class, or it is in our marriage, who can look at us and say, hey, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Word of God says. We, we cannot go that way. You say, Jake, that's pretty discouraging. But look at the end of chapter 2. In verses 12 through 13, God promises that even though there's a problem, that He will be faithful to shepherd them. He will be faithful to lead them. One of the most scary things in the world is to follow someone who does not know where they're going. Next week we are going to leave and go to Florida. And I will be driving, I am sure, just because I'll take my hearing aid out and I can't hear anything on this side, alright? And so that's where I want to be for 12 hours. I don't know where we're going. And so I'm going to trust the GPA, GPS, the GPA. Not, that's not a good test either for me. <laughs> I finished close to the top, but it wasn't a bright class. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding for you that I went to high school with. I'm sorry. But trusting who you're following. That's hard in a marriage. It's hard at church. It's hard at work. But listen to what Jesus promises through the prophet Micah about what God will do in the future. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold, like the flock in the midst of their pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out and pass through the gate and go out by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. He talks about a great day when the Lord is going to gather up multitudes of His own. And they're going to worship Him together. He's going to be with them. He's going to lead them in this millennial kingdom and for all of eternity. 
It's this constant reminder that while God might seem quiet in the moment, that His plans will not be thwarted. Why it might seem that we are following and listening to people who do not know where they're going or what they're doing or know where they're at most of the time. The Lord has a date and time when He's going to make everything right. He has a place and a purpose and all of these things He has under control. Chapters 3 and 4, we won't look at them all for the sake of time, but he just reiterates that wickedness has not only been what's on their mind constantly, it has affected everything. It has affected every area of the nation. And so tonight, when you think about our own nation, do not be surprised that wickedness knows no stopping point. There is not one institution. There is not one group of people. There is not one organization that is not drifting away from God and that includes the church, unless it is following the great shepherd, unless it is standing upon the word of God. Most churches are not growing more Bible-based and more spirit-led. They are growing more anti-scripture, more led by feelings and what you would like. And so we must make that decision that as the darkness continues to grow, the, the sin continues to spread, that we will not let it affect us. We will know who we stand with, who we follow. Listen to what it says in verse 8 because Micah is telling them, this is why I'm speaking and whom I'm speaking for. But truly I am full of the power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. He says, I've got the power of God with me. And friends, when we are watching what we are watching in homes and churches and in our nation, you need the power of the Spirit of God. You need to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, not quenching or grieving the Spirit. You need the Spirit to be the husband that God wants you to be. You need to be the Spirit to have the home and the marriage that God wants you to have. This church needs the power of God, not the wisdom of man or the eloquence of a speaker. We need the power of God. And Micah says, I've got it. God's given it to me, and the reason He gave it to me was not for my own benefit. Micah was a country preacher, not a national politician. He wasn't a, a government leader. He was a small-town preacher who God had reached out to and said, I got a message for some big-time people who were headed for some big-time trouble. And he says, I've been given this to declare to you the sin and wickedness in your life. And friends, the truth has never changed. We are to proclaim to this lost and dying world their need for a Savior. Their need to know the forgiveness and grace and mercy that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers them. That He has given us a mission to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And so when someone starts working with you, that bats for the wrong team, you look at it as an opportunity to share them the love of Jesus and what He's done for them and how He can save them, how He can forgive them, and how He can change them. When you begin to work with someone who's the nicest person you've ever met, who is morally good in their eyes, but yet does not know Jesus, know that you have been given the power and the privilege to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, but yet God is willing to save them. 
whether you teach a Sunday school class, whether you work in the nursery, whether you are a pastor, God is willing to allow us the power and the privilege to declare to a lost and dying world that Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the cure. He goes on in verses 4, and I won't read them for the sake of time, but in verses 1 through 6, or 1 through 5, it talks about rebuilding the temple and what that's going to look like after it is destroyed. In verses 6 and 7 and all the way through 13, it talks about how He's going to restore the nation. He's going to restore this group of people in a right relationship with God. Chapter 5, if you if love the Old Testament talking about Jesus, you can read in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathi, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. It's talking about the Messiah and His kingdom and how all of these promises that they're looking for are not filled in an earthly king. They're not filled by Ezra and Nehemiah or Zerubbabel. They are all filled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so while they were allowed to come back and while they were allowed to rebuild, the nation never experienced the true promise of God. And while we as a church get to watch people saved and and watch the power of God work, remember something, that you will never see it in its fullest until you see it in glory. It's just a taste, it's just a picture of what the power and presence of God is going to be like. And so do not get so caught up with the earthly blessings of God that you miss out that it really gets good when you get gone. That's all right. You, you'll catch that later. Bad English, wonderful preaching. He goes on in the same chapter and talks about how God will destroy His enemies, how God remembers wickedness of other people. But I want you to see here one of the most important verses in this entire book in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Because the question is, what is our mission? What are we called to do? What were the children of Israel called to do in this day and time? When wickedness was running rampant. When idolatry and ungodliness consumed everything. Micah 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of who? You. Not your neighbor. Not your parents. You. In this stance, it was them the people of God. And tonight it's you and I. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That has not changed. If you want to be used by God, you've got to love mercy. You've got to love receiving it, and you've got to love showing it. (laughs) For what mercy you show, you will be shown. With how you forgive, it's how you will be forgiven. But it's not just about how you love others, it's about how you love Him. And to walk humbly with your God. This idea of walking humbly with Him is a daily journey. It is a going together. It is a going together that gives this idea that there are times when we're walking humbly together and then maybe I'm not walking humbly. It gives us this idea that humility is something that must be continually growing in you. Something you are continually yielding to. 
That's why I thought it was fitting this morning that David was walking humbly with the Lord, but then he wasn't. And God said, I'm going to bring you back. I love you too much to let you go. And yet Mike is telling them the same thing. God's been so good to you. At this time, the nation of Israel was prosperous. They were wealthy. Their borders at different points had grown almost in the southern kingdom to where they were outside of the northern kingdom with David and Solomon. They they had it all. And Micah says, don't forget humility. Don't forget to humble yourself. Tonight, I think that's the great challenge for each and every one of us as God is a blessing and blesses us, is don't forget. Don't allow pride to sneak into our hearts and to our ways. Chapter 7, again, it talks about Israel's confession. It talks about the fact that God will forgive Israel. But back to those same verses that we started with, starting in verse 16, we see the difference. In verses 16 and 17, it talks about those nations and those people who don't humble themselves, who who don't seek the Lord. And tonight it's just like all of Scripture. It gives you the choice to choose or to reject, to receive or to deny. In verse 16 it says, The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a servant. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord your God and shall fear because of you. Friends, I know that people will say things like, I don't fear God. I'm not worried about standing before God. I'm not concerned about the great judgment. But friends, all of those statements will no longer be true when every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl stands before Him on that great day of judgment. When the books are opened and your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, friends, it will be a day of great fear, a day of great judgment, a a day of understanding that it is final, that it cannot be changed. It is a day where the lost will realize that they will be separated from Him and His goodness for all of eternity. I get a lot of grief for things I say, and some of it's right. Some of it I shouldn't say. But the thing that never ceases to amaze me is how many Christians do not want to hear the topic of eternal judgment talked about. It's in this very church, a conservative, Bible-believing church. And if that you, I'm not sorry for saying it. Because, friends, you and I know the love and mercy of God. We see the truth of what His Word says. And we are to be warning and praying and weeping for those who do not know Christ. Why? Because judgment is coming. It's coming for the wicked nation. It's coming from the wicked person. But, friends, don't miss verse 18. Think of, look, they crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth, like the serpents. It's this idea of dirty, it's this idea of wicked, it's this idea of Satan and his followers. But in verse 18, who is a God like you? The stark opposite, 
The complete 180. This is what it is. This is what it could be. You can choose death or you can choose life. You can choose hopelessness or you can choose hope. You can choose destruction or you can choose restoration. You can choose judgment or you can choose forgiveness. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. And the love that He had for the Jewish people, the love that He has for His church. But who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of His heritage. He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in mercy. He will give, have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. He references back to the two famous people that the promises come through, Abraham and Jacob. And he says it was true then and it's true now. God was not a liar to them and He's not a liar to us. And as New Testament Christians, we have the Old Testament, we have the completed Scriptures, we can read it and see it and say, wow, how good is God to us. That He would love us as Gentiles, that He would love us as rebels, and yet the same promises that He promised not to leave, not to abandon them, not to destroy them, can apply to us. Are we different than Israel? Absolutely. Can Israel be saved any other way outside of Jesus? Absolutely not. But one of these days, Jesus is going to work and move in the Jewish people. And there is going to be a tremendous returning of them to Jesus as Lord and Savior, to Messiah, to worship Him, to honor Him. And all of these Old Testament prophecies promises and prophecies that people say they don't apply, they're not valid, they're not applicant, are all going to be fulfilled because God is faithful to His Word. And friends, we are going to get to witness all of it. We're going to get to watch God be faithful and true and holy and perfect and to worship who He is and what He does. And so tonight as I close, remember those two things. Who God is and what His promises are to you. And while you're not a Jew in the sense of your nationality, you're not a Jew in the sense of where you live or the fact that you worship at the Old Testament temple, you are a child of God. If you've been adopted into His family and you can trust Him and His promises. Tonight that means if you're here and you're lost. It doesn't have to be that way. Tonight if you're here and you are on a path toward destruction, Tonight, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, choose life. Tonight, if you are here and you are lost and dead in your sins and trespasses, and the Spirit of God is convicting you and dealing with you and drawing you, today is the day of salvation. But knowing this crowd and most of you and your relationship with the Lord, the greatest challenge to you tonight is not to be saved, but to live in the joy of that salvation through the ups and downs, the valleys, the mountaintops, through the storms and through the trials, to know Him and know His Word. And those walking in humility can rest confidently in who He is. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word tonight.
Lord, thank you for being faithful in the Old Testament to a nation of wicked people. Lord, thank you to be faithful to us as we're still wicked and fallen. Lord, thank you so much for loving us, for caring about us, for dying for us. Father, help us to walk humbly before you, remembering your promises and your character. Lord, help us to be a light into this community. Father, for those tonight that are struggling with issues and burdens, Lord, I pray that they would have the freedom to come, to lay them down, and to spend time with you. Father, for those that have got loved ones that are lost or struggling tonight, Lord, I pray that they would find a spot and do business with you on behalf of them. But most importantly tonight, Lord, if there's anyone in this place, in this room, the children's department or the youth that's here tonight that's lost, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them, work in their heart, and that we might rejoice in them coming to know you. And Father, we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.